Please stand for the reading of today's gospel lesson from the book of John, chapter 13, 31 through 35. Now when he had gone out, meaning Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love, have love for one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, you just stood witness to a real who's on first moment um, between me and Pastor Jim. He was turning around asking me, uh, can we mention Jen? And I heard him saying, can we mention Jim? And I thought, you are Jim. And I, and I was so concerned. And I, uh, we got it cleared up. Um, so it's good to be in ministry with you, my friend. <laughs> um, it really is a joy to be with all of you. I want to welcome um, everybody who is joining us online. We just really are awed by the privilege of being in your homes, in hospital rooms, on vacation, on business trips. It is so good to be with you wherever you are. I'm Reverend Casey Orr. I am one of the associate pastors here at Brentwood United Methodist Church. Our senior pastor, Dr. Davis Chapel, has been on a short study leave for the last couple weeks, but you will be delighted to know that he is in the building today. He's just been roaming about, poking his head in Sunday school classes, just seeing what's going on. It's been so fun for him. And and I know that you will be extra thrilled to know that he will be back in this very pulpit next Sunday for the third Sunday of Lent. And today we are continuing the series that Pastor Jonathan started for us last week that we're calling Last Call. And during the season of Lent, we're exploring what is known as the farewell discourse in the Gospel of John. This spans chapters 13 through 17 of John's gospel. It includes the last words that Jesus shared with his disciples as he prepared for his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, and his death the following day. He felt a deep urgency that night, and we find ourselves today looking at the very first of the final things that Jesus would tell his disciples before his death. And so our passage begins, when he had gone out. And because of that type of a beginning, we must read the passage in conjunction with what came before it. And if you were here last week, you know exactly what preceded it. We are, um, your clergy staff, in the process of scheduling some group therapy for all who were here and believed Pastor Jonathan when he said we'd be coming forward for a foot washing. You could hear a pin drop and then a roar of nervous, relieved laughter when he admitted he was kidding you. Meanwhile, I do need you to know that I was on the front pew with my kid and I was so excited, I could hardly stand it. I was trying to figure out how I was gonna gracefully get my tights off so that I could participate. <laughs> I love, I love a foot washing. And here's a fun fact for you. 
If you have never noticed, my stole, the one that I wear here, is different from Pastor Jim's. Pastor Jim and Davis and Jonathan and Ani and Dominic wear the elder stole. That is the ordination order in the United Methodist Church to which they're called. Their call is to word and to sacrament and to order and to service. Their stoles are worn around their neck, falling in the front, and their stole is to signify the yoke of Christ. Now my stole... And Adam's stole. Our stoles look different. A little bit like Miss America, you think? <laughs> we wear the deacon stoles. That is our ordination order in the United Methodist Church. Our call is to word and to service and to compassion and to justice. And so our stole is worn over our left shoulder across the chest and tied at the right hip. And y'all, this stole, it symbolizes the towel that was used during the ritual foot washing. A symbol of service. All that to say... <laughs> I really love a foot washing. <laughs> That's all about that. Let's get back on track. After Jesus had taken on the role of a servant and shown the disciples the depth of his love for them by stooping before them with a basin of water and a towel, he foretold his betrayal. He announced to all of his gathered friends that one of them would betray him, Judas. Judas would betray him. But not until after Jesus washed Judas's feet too, after he included Jesus, Judas, his betrayer, in his very act of love. Without flinching, we hear Jesus. He looks at Judas and says, do quickly what you are going to do. Which brings us to our passage today, when he had gone out. He was Judas. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. We have to ask what could glory possibly have to do with betrayal? Well, this betrayal was the betrayal that would set in motion the chain of events that would lead to Jesus' complete glorification. God revealed God's self in the word made flesh, born a little baby in a manger. And that baby grew into a ministry of calling and serving and listening and forgiving and praying and healing and proclaiming good news. And now with this betrayal certain, it is going to be Jesus's death, his resurrection and his ascension to God the Father that who God is and who Jesus is and who they are to each other is going to be fully revealed to us. But as he speaks to them about his coming glory, he sees their utterly confused expressions. They are horrified. They cannot believe that Judas actually just left. They can't understand why Jesus's tone has seemed to change. They still can't even believe that they let him wash their feet just a few minutes ago. But truly, they simply cannot make sense of any of this coming glory because they have not yet made sense of his coming death. He sees their confusion, their fear, he sees their grief, and he turns into tenderness. Little children, I am with you only a little longer, you will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I find this so moving. Jesus is speaking to his peers. He is speaking to a group of grown men. Little children, he called them. Now, 
I am a parent to two actual little children. And I have, I think, maybe six mommy voices. A deliberate, what sounds good for breakfast, voice. A very frustrated, how do you not know where your jacket is, voice. A really joyful, oh my gosh, I am so proud of you, voice. There's a sweet bedtime, what was your most favorite part of today, voice? There's a really rowdy voice um, from the bleachers of sporting events that we don't need to get into here. And then there's this really comforting little children, it's going to be okay, mommy's got you, voice. I know the shift into the little children moment quite well. I go there when my kids get hurt, when they mess up, when they mis- make a mistake that makes them sad when they can't figure something out at school, when they miss a shot on the court, when they're disappointed, when really fun plans that we have get canceled, when they feel left out, you can see it on your child's face, the change in their voice, the tears beginning to fill their eyes, that fear of disappointing you, it's all right there in one face, just as it was for Jesus' disciples. Why must Jesus leave? Where's he going? Why can't we go with him? Why doesn't he want us? Where did Judas go? Where, what is happening? How did we even get here? His entire tone then changes. His volume changes. His body softens. His head tilts and his eyes open in wide love for them. And in this moment, this group of men is no longer students or really even disciples. This is his family. These are his beloved children, and he knows the pain, the deep pain that they're about to suffer, this disorientation, the heartbreak, and they are going to need something specific, something simple, something concrete, something clear and memorable to guide them through the turmoil that's coming. And so he gives them this. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another, just as I have loved you. Now, I do need you to know that I would love to try to make this commandment a love for all people, a broad, sweeping love for strangers, for enemies, for neighbors, for friends, for all people. And Jesus does say a lot about that kind of love. Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. John 15, 13, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 6.35, love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. He said a lot about that big, sweeping love. But this particular commandment is simply not about that. This call to love is specific. It is love within. Love one another just as I have loved you. The one another that he's speaking of is these 11 men that are in that room that night. This love commandment is intended to help these disciples cope with their grief over Jesus' death, their anxiety over their separation from him, the love that they pour out to one another in these coming days. This will be the love that sustains their faith and sustains their hope. It will get them through their very worst days. When they lose Jesus to the cross, they're going to be afraid and they are going to need each other. 
They will have to figure out how to love each other well under incredibly high pressure, coming down on them from opponents and boiling up inside of them in fear and sadness. And so we can see that this call to love one another is not intended to exclude others. It is simply to embrace the ones that have been closest to him, to comfort them, to equip them to carry on after he has gone from them. And... Jesus has called us, each one of us, by the inheritance of our faith to love this exact same way. And I do hope that you are not feeling too edgy right now, anxious about the rant that the preacher's about to go on about all the ways that we are failing to love each other. We know it's politics and tension and family and gossip and avoidance. Don't worry, I'm gonna be so quick about this because you already know that the church's witness in the world is really hindered by our inability to love other Christians. Particularly when we hold different opinions on a trending topic, you already know that people outside the church perceive Christians to be judgmental and arrogant and ignorant. Within our shared faith, our shared claim of the one who called us to love one another as he loved, we are cruel to each other. We are dismissive of one another. We are insensitive to one another. And Jesus said that people would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another, but they will not know we are his disciples if we are broken by division and discord and disunity within the Christian community. It's not good. You already know that people are watching and they are not impressed. I recently heard a Christian podcaster say that she was reading her Bible study on an airplane and she suddenly felt embarrassment swell up inside her. She was using her little cup of Diet Coke and her tiny square napkin and her small bag of pretzels to cover up and block the words that would indicate to anyone looking on that she was reading a Bible study. And she suddenly felt so sad and felt guilty, shame, But then she realized that she's not ashamed of Jesus. She loves Jesus. She's ashamed of the church. She's ashamed of what people might associate her with or assume her to be if they see what she's doing. She's not ashamed of her church, it's the church. Many of us have been there, if we're honest, so full of love for Jesus in the depth of who we are, but we're so afraid that our new friend will find our faith a little off-putting because Christians are judging and strict and maybe they've experienced us to be a little boring. And so we'll find ourselves saying something like, yes, I'm a Christian, but not that kind. We've been there. But we can be part, I think, of reclaiming the expectation. What if for us, the faith community at Brentwood United Methodist Church, if today is a reset, a new start, a renewal of our commitment to do as Jesus said and to love one another as he loves us, we can do it. We just have to decide to do it. Love has to become a habit. It has to become our instinct, our second nature. And today we get to decide if we are going to be a one another church. Love one another, Jesus said. It's not complicated. In fact, it's simple enough for toddlers to memorize, love one another. They get it. They understand that even before they have heard the command. Now, if you don't know, um, in parenthood, there is not one thing I think that is more humbling as a parent than a child's fill in the blank sheets that come home on holidays. 
Valentine's Day, they fell in all the little things that they love. Thanksgiving, all the things they're thankful for. Christmas, it might be a wish list. And then from preschool come the Mother's Day and the Father's Day sheets. All about mommy and daddy. Where they're asked how old mommy is. And they say 14. (laughs) And you're like, oh, that feels really good. And then you realize, oh, 14 is just the biggest number they know. You're trying to say, I'm really, really old. These sheets have been coming home to us from school or preschool or Sunday school for maybe six years now, since James was two. And at this point, I could predict my kids' answers on a lot of these uh, questions. So how do you know daddy loves you? They'll be asked. He plays with me. He plays basketball with me. He tickles me. How do you know mommy loves you? She makes food for me. She cooks for me. She cleans for me. Daddy spends time with me, mommy takes care of me. I know my parents love me because they are present with me and they serve me. Now to be fair, we both do both. Michael and I are both present with our children and we both take care of our children. But that is how their little minds have categorized us. This is what has stood out to them. This is what mattered. This is what made their hearts feel warm and what made them feel safe and happy and adored and secured. My daddy spends time with me. My mommy takes care of me, love one another. They get it. They understand it in their bones. Now, any parent knows that it is simple and it is also that difficult because of those extra mommy voices that sometimes sneak in, the ones that don't start with little children. Love one another is as simple as time and service and as difficult as choosing to put aside our human desire to be right, to be the best, to be relevant, to be important, to be powerful, to be admired, to be a winner, and to take on the humility of love that stoops before one another and washes feet with time and service. It is quite profound and very difficult to practice. So we have to work at it. Starting today, every day, and at every turn, and every moment, we're gonna have to ask ourselves, what is the most loving thing I can do right now? And sometimes the answer won't be clear, we won't know right away, and so we can close our eyes and go back to the upper room with Jesus, and we can feel him and hear him washing our feet, and I think the answer will become clearer. We'll see again what it looks like to love and to serve and to bless, to want the best for one another, So when you look inward, you don't have to test the maturity of your faith against how much scripture you have memorized or your knowledge of the creeds without looking too much at the screens or your grasp on church history or how theologically sound you are. Those things have grown so very important to us, but they were not important to Jesus. When you look inward instead, you have to look at how deep your love goes. Love one another. Now, the early church was already struggling with this a great deal, and so Paul would get more specific to the churches that he was writing his letters to, how to be a one another church. It it wasn't just as, as succinct as love one another. It was honor one another, greet one another with kindness, welcome one another, live in harmony with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. Comfort one another, care for one another, encourage one another, build one another up, teach with one another, sing with one another, serve one another, be humble toward one another, speak the truth to one another, love one another. Be a one another church. If you find yourselves looking inward today and feeling, I've missed the mark, that's okay. Today's our reset. 
Today, we recommit to being a one another church. We are a one another church in tense and troubled times. We are a one another church when we disagree about policy. We are a one another church when we talk about money. We're a one another church when we enter a really complicated election season. We're a one another church when we have conflicting personalities in the room. We're a one another church when our ego flares up. We're one another church when our agendas are different. We're a one another church when our passion isn't shared by someone else. We are a one another church when our denomination is being tested. We are a one another church. We are one another disciples. And on Friday, I stood witness to this very truth. We gathered here at the sanctuary on Friday to celebrate the life and resurrection of Scott Warner. Scott and his wife, Kathy, have been members of BUMC for about a year, connecting to Brentwood first online and then in person, and then they went all in. Scott went on the men's retreat last year and grew deeply connected to our men's ministry, and then he and Kathy joined the New Covenant Sunday School class. They brought their twin grandchildren to children's choir. They were nominated for leadership this year, and Scott would have been in our new class of Stephen ministers had he not gotten so sick. It was mouth cancer, cancer that he fought harder than anyone I've ever seen fight with profoundly deep faith, a faith that deepened my own faith just by knowing him and witnessing his journey, listening to his questions, hearing what he was thinking about. The New Covenant Sunday School class prayed for Scott and Kathy fiercely. They delivered meals, they made art, they called, they texted, they dropped by, and on Friday, we gathered for a beautiful celebration. Now, at the end of the service, as is our tradition, the New Covenant class, who were named the honorary pallbearers, exited the sanctuary first. They stood in two lines facing each other. If you can imagine, just outside these back doors, in two lines facing one another, leading straight out into the center, into the belly of the narthex. It was a tunnel of love one another. They created that tunnel for then Pastor Davis to lead Kathy and her family through. And so they were surrounded by a symbol of standing love. And once they made it through that tunnel, Something happened that I've never seen happen before, and you all know that I'm involved in a lot of funerals. Typically, everyone just kind of spills out and goes their separate ways, mingles about, maybe visits with the family for a few minutes, but that's not what happened. Once they made it through that tunnel, everyone just naturally created this enormous circle, the, almost the whole perimeter of the narthex, a circle of love one another. It was silent, not a word was spoken. All you could hear were the quiet sounds of crying and patting backs and hugs. And Kathy began to walk quietly around that circle, embracing every single person that had gathered to celebrate her husband's life. She was hugging members of her New Covenant Sunday School class, members of the men's ministry. She was hugging family from Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Switzerland, just quietly and deliberately and no one was in a hurry to go anywhere. We were right where we needed to be. Again, it was unlike anything I have ever seen, a complete and perfect image in that very room of love one another. Jesus looked at each disciple as he spoke, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. 
Each of them was responsible to love the others and to receive the love of the others. They had to commit to this work as individuals and as a group. And today Jesus is looking at each one of us and he is speaking, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Each of us is responsible to love others and to receive the love of others. We have to commit to our own work of faith as individuals and as a community of faith. Love one another today. Love one another in tunnels. Love one another in circles. Love one another today. Let's today be one another disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's today choose to be a one another church. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.